The 76th annual Cannes Film Festival is taking place this week. It would be nice if American actors boycotted the festival to show solidarity with the Writers Guild, which is striking all the studios, hawking their wares at the Cannes Film Festival. The Cannes Film Festival is being held while millions of French workers are protesting the French government's decision to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. This has prompted several French union leaders to threaten to shut the festival down by cutting off its power lines. Their unions are a little different in France. The city of Cannes, however, where the festival is being held, has banned all protests during the entirety of the festival, right? The Cannes Film Festival, they have documentaries. This is where Michael Moore became famous with his documentaries. We're big proponents of freedom of speech. The word is so important until you actually want to stage a protest in the city of Cannes during the festival. God forbid actors, producers, directors, and writers have to be challenged. See, they're protecting the Hollywood producers and directors and actors, they, everybody gets to walk the red carpet in con with impunity and not appear to be crossing picket lines. They're not going to be accused of not showing solidarity with French workers or members of America's Writers Guild. I know this is hard to believe, but here in America, there was a time when people didn't cross picket lines and there was actually a time when people created their own picket lines and refused to show up to, I don't know, a studio event in solidarity with one of the Hollywood workers unions that's on strike. That was, there was a time that that happened in America before that piece of shit Ronald Reagan became president. That time has passed because of the concentration of ownership in Hollywood. Hollywood is owned by four or five studios, including Disney. And uh, all it takes is a few studio heads not to like your politics, to think you're a troublemaker, to think you're a union rabble rouser, and you're not going to get any work. So it's a climate of fear. Actors who, whose responsibility, writers and directors whose responsibility is to be on the side of labor, they have to feed their family, and they're forced to show up to these things, even though they're disgusted by this. Jessica Anderson is back. She is running for the Virginia House of Delegates, District 71. She's going to get the nomination. She's the only Democrat running. So there's a good chance that she will be representing District 71. She's endorsed by Howie Klein, and she joins us once again from Virginia. Thank you, Jessica Anderson, for being here. Thank you for having me. And I'm not in a car this time, so yes. I'm excited about that. <laughs> so, so first off, my job is to raise money for you. So I want everybody to go to Jessica Anderson for VA.com. Go to Jessica Anderson for VA.com and donate a dollar, five dollars, or five hundred dollars. 
let's raise money and make sure that Jessica Anderson is elected to serve the people of District 71 in Virginia. You've been on the show before. Why don't you quickly describe what part of Virginia District 71 falls under? Yeah. Um, so it's considered like the peninsula. Um, it includes the city of Williamsburg, so kind of this colonial error area, and then uh, James City County, which is also under the swath of the Williamsburg name, um, and then a small section of New Kent County. It's split between two delegate seats. So I have basically the left half of the district, and then the right half of the district is under another um, district um, 60. So, yeah, it's um, demographic-wise, pretty much a 50-50 split. Uh, the previous district, which was deemed the 96, was an R6, R7, so it's pretty right-leaning. Um, this new newly drawn district, um, to give you an idea of how flippable it is, it went to Tim Kaine, Joe Biden, and Ralph Northam as it's drawn currently. Um, it also so you, went to Yunkin, but, it, but Yunkin's an anomaly. So right. That's the current <laughs> Republican governor. Carlisle Group? Correct. Is he from the Carlisle Group? Correct. He is originally from the Carlisle Group. So yeah. he's evil. Carlisle he's Group is evil. evil. Carlisle, uh, he's the, the super re- evil. He's yeah, the re- I'm pretty sure he was the CEO of Carlisle Group. And failed at it. It was bad. Like, yeah. What is the makeup of the Virginia House of Delegates? You have a Republican governor. What's the split in the legislative branch? Um, right now, there is a slight uh, Republican lead in the House. They have the majority, just a small majority. I think it's the difference of like two delegates. Um, and then the Senate is a very slim majority on the Democratic side. So pretty much the partisan politics have been at all time level the last two General Assembly sessions, because obviously everything the House is pushing forward, the Senate is blocking and vice versa. So um, very little progress uh, these last two sessions. Um, and of course, our governor um, is basically Ron DeSantis in a sweater vest. Um, that is his aspirations. You know, uh, Howie mentioned um, that he has some big desires to be, you know, presidential at some point. I don't think it's in the near future. Um, I think right now he's kind of uh, trying to elevate his name in the national sphere to become a congressional leader, um, possibly going after Tim Kaine's seat, which I just can't imagine him winning in that seat. Tim Kaine is such a well-loved um congressional leader. But uh, I think that might be his immediate goal. And then his long term goal is probably the presidency in the next eight to 12 years. Um, But I think he knows that in order to get the accolades from the RNC nationally, he needs to win this General Assembly seat. You know, we are the bellwether state. We are a state that has this off season, you know, off year election. So it's this this year, this year, this year is the election. Is it 2023, November 7th? And so is it fair to say that we're voting for you this round, not so much to accomplish things as much as stop things from happening? Um, I mean, honestly, there is some severe concern about um, bad things happening. But I also think that we could put some progress forward if we flip the House and, of course, maintain and even expand the Senate. So if we have the capabilities of doing both of those things, I think that would be a huge benefit. Right. We saw in North Carolina this week a Democratic governor having his abortion veto overruled by the the legislature. So you you can if you have a strong enough legislative branch, you can still have Yunkin uh, in the governor's office and, and still get 
still accomplish things. Correct. We can what? at least put him at kind of bay for the next remainder of his governorship, basically. The, the war against the LGBTQ community has gotten more pronounced, more. This is worse than what I saw in 2004 when Karl Rove and George W. Bush ran against same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Why are Republicans picking on the transgender community? It's 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 not a it's not yeah. an issue. It, it's it makes it's one like one. What what I don't even know what the percentage of people who are trans. Yeah, I, I think well, transgender is like less than one percent of the population. So that that is it is an incredibly small percentage. Well, the Republicans population. cater to the one percent. There's your answer. <laughs> There's your answer. Um, I really I'll be super honest. I think this is a um, history repeating itself kind of issue. Uh, if we look back in the late 70s, early 80s, the moral majority, I know I was just born then, but I've done my research. Um, but we saw the moral majority um, and how much it moved the needle for the likes of Reagan. Um, he had Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell Sr. as some of his you know, public speakers at his event. I mean, this is really telling on what we've seen over the last 50 years and how we've kind of gotten here. Um, their whole you know, audience was, you know, Jerry Falwell specifically didn't want to see equal rights for women. Uh, he really wanted to keep segregation in place. He wanted to make sure that his privately owned um, institutions of, you know, Liberty, um, what was it? Liberty, Liberty Academy, University, which is yeah. for K through 12 and then Liberty University for, you know, higher ed remained white. And even today, the percentage of black students in those in those schools that are still very much alive and well is between six and eight percent. I mean, so he's kind of kept that dream alive um, of keeping a very small, you know, swath of, of, of the minority people in his in his uh, private institutions. Um, but he was looking for the best messaging to kind of move the needle on getting Republicans into office. Um, he went for women's rights. The feminist movement didn't work. Uh, he did go after, you know, desegregation, got some pushback. He went after the homosexual community, LGBTQ plus, like that was on his, you know, on his target. All of these things were the same things we're seeing now, kind of front and center, um, being targets across, you know, red states particularly. And uh, and finally, he he went after abortion because, of course, this was, you know, five years after Roe v. Wade was overturned or, or put in place. So here we're talking 1978. That was the first time he ever spoke about um, abortion on the pulpit. Um, and this man literally profited off of, you know, pushing this moral mentality um, and getting presidents and, you know, really, in fact, I think they said that there's four races in 1978 when he started preaching this from the pulpit, that they got Democrat candidates to lose by a huge number when these all four Democrat candidates were, were targeted to win, without a doubt. Right. So, I mean, it's proof in our history that if you can do this in the past, maybe we can revisit it again in the future, in, in the present. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Right. Um, so let me read. Let, know, me, let me let me yeah. let me quote a very it's a trite banal poem that everybody has heard. But it's trite and banal because it bears repeating over and over again. And I see it. 
happening right now. It, it's a German Lutheran pastor named Martin Niemöller who lived through Nazi Germany. And this is a famous mm-hmm. confession that he wrote. First, they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out. I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Speak for me, yeah. So the, the, the playbook, first they come for the socialists, or for, depending on the translation, or the communists. Mm-hmm. With abandon, the Republicans attack the communists and the socialists. With abandon, they attack the trade unionists, the unions. They're afraid of the Jews, even though they hate them. So they go after the, the Arabs and the Mexicans and the Central. This is just straight out of the fascist playbook, what DeSantis is Absolutely. doing. And left out of this is the LGBTQ community and women. And when you're last on the list, you don't see what's happening down below. I hate to say down below. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's true. The war against women. I know there's a war against women. I just don't believe it. I don't believe that there really are men who want to keep women barefoot and pregnant and think marital rape should be legal and that uh, divorce, no-fault divorce, should uh, be off the books. As, as, a, as a woman, and I know you come from, you've been exposed to the far-right Christian Republican thinking. Mm-hmm. How dangerous are these people for women specifically? Incredibly dangerous. Um, I know that that intellectually, I just don't believe it, though. So are you familiar with the red pill community? The what? The red pill community. Uh, Matrix stuff? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, So so, uh, I, I watch... Like, like you said, I've exposed myself to a lot of different communities because I, I have, I'm a fan of knowing your enemy. <laughs> and um, so with that being said, uh, one of the communities is kind of the manosphere or the red pill community, which, yes, plays homage to this matrix narrative. Like you have the Andrew Tate that speaks of the matrix. But Andrew Tate has, you know, roughly 4.3 million young men, many of which are adolescent men who garner to his every word. This man literally wrote the playbook on how to uh, human traffic women uh, for a cam business. And people are defending him with their lives, um, saying that that's not what he did. Including Tucker Carlson. Including Tucker Carlson. Um, This this is very much a real thing. And I think it's because, and and I think that there's some, there's some issues on both sides of this argument. Um, I absolutely think that society as a whole has has put men kind of down a few notches, shall we say? Um, it's funny. I listened to, uh, like I said, several different people, and I've realized that the number of men that are going to college and graduating, being successful in college, has dropped significantly. There's a Women crisis. Kind of there's dominating. a crisis for white yes. men. I mean, more likely I to that. get. I'm sorry. 
know if I'd say crisis. Well, but, there is a crisis. No, but, uh, higher suicide rates, opiate addiction. Yes, yes. Yes. But I think it's a combination of it's, it's funny to me because the things that that create this environment that is mentally harming for men is the same environment that is being put forth by these red pill communities, these matrix communities, these Andrew Tate, shall we say, that are trying to tell men, if you're not doing X, Y, Z, you're not good enough. And then and then sitting here saying there's no such thing as, um, you know, uh, what is it? Toxic masculinity. Like you are the epitome of toxic masculinity. You're telling men not to show emotion. You're telling men that if they're not the alpha male or top G or whatever the languages they're using in that week, um, you don't you don't quantify to, to have access to good women, to quality women, to a good life. I'm going to stop you Me, with, with all due respect. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to I'm going to stop yeah. you. At a, I, yeah. I hope I'm not being disrespectful. No. But you're doing what Democrats do. Uh, you're okay. explaining why the problem exists as opposed to pointing out who the enemy is. You, you immediately yeah. jump to the cause of the problem uh, and, and almost lending forgiveness to who are well, No, I don't want to forgiveness. So, <laughs> let's, Andrew let's, Tate is a horrible human being. So, is, I mean, I think he's a huge, he's uh, a huge proponent of where we are right so now. So let, let me reframe the question just so it would. Yeah. I'm not asking for forgiveness or understanding mm -hmm. why they think this way. I want to know what the enemy is truly thinking about women. Do they believe that marital rape should be legal? Do they believe that no fault divorce should be outlawed, that women shouldn't work? That what what do these what do these evil people think of women, how many people think this way, and what's their end game? Um, oh, I so there's absolutely men that think that way. Um, you know, we have, what is it, Louder with Crowder, Stephen Crowder. He's another example of these um, incredibly grotesque human beings that have a very large platform and are speaking to young adolescent men and young adult men. Um, they want to see us subjugated back to a 1950s timeline. They want to see us being dependent on them. So why isn't anybody asking? Them, them, why don't I, I'm, I'm getting angry, not at you. I no, apologize. No, 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 but why fine. aren't people who have access to these so-called people asking that question? Why aren't they asking uh, Chip Roy and Kevin McCarthy these questions do you believe women should work? Do you believe marital rape should be uh, legal? Do you believe Arabs and Jews are going to go to heaven? Why don't they ask them, get them on record being asked these? Nobody has the balls to do that. that like, like, I agree. Like, I, I, I make entire content pushing back against the narrative and saying and showing the hypocrisy of what people on the right particularly are doing. I, I do it all the time. I, and I and I get frustrated because I see so many people that have a position of power, have a platform and don't ask the questions. I really don't know. I don't really know the answer. Um, you, know, you don't know the answer opinion, to why people, people do, you don't you don't yes. know why people don't ask that question. Yeah, I feel like they're being complacent or may, it, a lot of times they like to portray it as 
this isn't really going anywhere. Trump is a perfect example. Everyone on the left, this isn't going anywhere. This guy's got no chance. They write these ideas off, and then what happens? They grow, or they subjugate people and remove them from platforms, get them banned, do all these things. You know what that does? That makes them even more powerful. Right. It does. I, I, I have a hard time with this censorship, censorship that's going on, even with, ex, with certain extreme voices, because you are giving them power. You really are. They're going to find a new platform, and that platform is going to be successful. And now people are going to look at them and say, they're speaking truth. That's why they've been silent. And this is this is a narrative we've seen just is like exasperate over the last six years. We, we've seen it. I mean, that's why the things like Telegram and Parler and Rumble and, you know, all of these places exist because of the idea that let's silence them. Let's ignore them. Let's, you know, put them in the corner. That's not what's happening. See, I've, I've... They need to put them to the fire and put and ask them and, and, and blast the stuff they're putting out there and show why it's wrong. Right. That's what needs to be happening. Right. The the Rudy Giuliani lawsuit that came out on Monday, the, where he's being accused of mm -hmm. sexual assault, rape. The, the woman says that he dr was drunk all the time, spewing racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic uh, vitriol. This is what these people think all the time they're just smart enough to hide it from us correct and i've actually heard recently which i thought was really interesting um republican women in positions of power complaining about their male counterparts and how they're treated and it's in my mind i'm going are you kidding this right. is you're shocked by this behavior like I'm going to like, so for example, my opponent is in a place of leadership and I think that she's in a place of leadership because her cohort make things that makes them look good. Look what we did. We put right. a woman in leadership in the house caucus. Like we care about women. Meanwhile, they're just itching to put a full on abortion ban on the table and strip us of our bodily autonomy completely. So it, it's just ironic to me that the women within this party think that they're protected and don't realize that if they gain full power, they will change the rules of the now, game. Are you going to be debating your opponent? I'd like to. Um, we are definitely going to have a forum, so an open forum where they're going to ask us both probably similar questions and just kind of see what our responses varying are uh, September 21st, so right before election, uh, early election starts. Um, we also have a local chamber of commerce here in Williamsburg that want to do a table debate and I am all for it. It's just whether or not she'll agree to do it. Right. And you can't, the problem with debates is you couldn't ask her to tell you whether or not she thinks Jews and Muslims and Sikhs are going to go to the same heaven as she is. She wouldn't answer no, that question. Oh, no, she wouldn't answer that question. Right. Because it's a no win for her. If she says, right. I mean, most questions she won't answer directly, even ones that may be a minimum win for her. Um, so they can't they can't answer the, the most important questions because it will it reveals what they truly how hateful 
they 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 truly are. Is that can the yeah, can, can the same be said about Democrats? Are are there questions that we refuse to answer because it reveals too much about our agenda? I absolutely think there are Democrats that do that. I myself do not. I love questions. I, I and if I don't know the answer, I'll find it. Um, but I think that that's a flaw that we need to address. Well, let me um, ask you a tough question. To be transfer- transparent. Okay, ask me I'll questions. ask you a yes. tough question. And I ask this of all the candidates. You're for Medicare for all. Yes. Can we have Medicare for all without putting everybody who works for health insurance companies out of work? Um, I think we can. It's going to be it's going to have to change the way the structure is, because even without privately owned healthcare insurances, you still need oversight for a program that's in place. You're still going to be using several different healthcare providers. You're still going to be using, um, you know, different facilities. So the idea that that's no longer going to exist seems really that doesn't seem possible to me. You're going to need human oversight, even if you have a program that's universal. But are you willing to Um, outlaw health insurance? The idea, supplemental insurance, the idea that what we have now as, you know, Medicare Advantage, where the health insurance companies, I think something like 50 percent of people on Medicare have some kind of private health care. Health insurance. A secondary plan that they pay into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most Democrats won't answer this question. I, I maintain, Bernie maintains, you have to outlaw health insurance in this country. I mean, the problem is, I think if you don't, we're not going to really have adequate health care. So we do. And, so and you would agree that we have to. No, out- I do. Yeah, I do. And, and I say that because I say the same thing about public education. Look at public education. Um, when we allow the states that are allowing for school vouchers, OK, they're funneling pub- public funds into private institutions to benefit a small minority of typically already privileged citizens of this state, of this country. And what I find interesting is if we actually required our public servants, our politicians, our local officials, all of this to use the public education system, guess what they would stop doing? If they had to know that their children's only access to education was this one location, this one program, they're going to ensure that that program is successful. That is the same for government. If you tell a government that you only have access to this health care provider, this is it. They are going to ensure that it is successful. So when you hear this argument pushed back that the government is it's going to fail if we if we let the government do all that. No, if you tell the government they are equally indebted to that same program, that same system in place, I assure you they will make sure it works because they don't want them and their family and their children and everyone that is, is affiliated with them to be at a deficit. Right. It's interesting you bring that up because football, as I understand it, they insist that the television rights are distributed equally among all the teams. So nobody has an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. We should be doing that with our school system, our public school system. There should be a a pot of money for education statewide, and it gets distributed per student equally. There's like X amount of money, how many students, you divide it equally among all the students. And 
no, no PTA fundraisers. You have to exist on what the government, because it gives, when you do a bake sale, that gives an unfair advantage to students who go to Beverly Hills High School. So Beverly Hills High School has a football team. They can spend more money on equipment and trainers and mm -hmm. off-season camps, and then they go play South Central, and it's unfair. They have yeah. it because of the money. Uh, and yeah. the, but the same people complaining about transgender women playing women's sports. It's not fair. It's not fair. I say, what about uh, kids from rich, rich neighborhoods playing sports against inner city kids? That's more. Yeah, that's not fair. That's not well, fair. And, I, and I know we I know we're like done on time, but I will say to that point, I think that the argument around the sports thing that makes me the most frustrated is it gives the idea that people are transitioning to play sports. They're not. They're transitioning because that is who they are. Right. They may happen to enjoy athletics. And and for example, my my eldest daughter played cross or ran cross country for all four years. She was in high school. She's just finished her first year of college, and she played alongside a transgender female. Um, and that was that girl was a run of the middle of the run pack runner. She wasn't like some incredible. She just wanted to be a part of a team that she identified with and could relate to and, and experience something she enjoyed together. Okay, let's raise that is, it, it, Yeah, let's raise some money for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, are you a millionaire? <laughs> no, I am not. You, you don't have millions of dollars. You can't sell finance. Okay. No. Would you like to, I don't I don't think you want to know how much I make per year. It's pretty sad, actually. What, what, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a front office part time worker at an elementary school. Mm hmm. So you're not rich. That gives you an idea. I'm not rich. You're not rich. Do you identify with the richest one percent? Do you have aspirations? Do you think they know something that we don't know and we have something to learn from them or are they the enemy? I don't identify with the one person. No, and, and it's not something I aspire to be either. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think everyone likes the idea of like life being a little easier financially, but I, I don't think there's enough money in the world that's really going to make my my life, everyday life better, if that right. makes any sense. Nothing's going to change the fact that I've got three girls. I've got a great husband. I've got good people in my life. Like money's not going to change those things. And those things are, in my opinion, the most valuable. I mean, I'm doing a lot of hard work and busting my ass to literally be a public servant and make 17 grand a year. So it's not like even this job goal, this target is for the benefit of patting my pocket. So you know um, you what know, it I've means. It so so is it, is it yeah. fair to say that you know what it's like when rent is due? Yes. I was a single mom for three years. I'm very much familiar with the struggles of trying to make ends meet. Have you ever been afraid that. of being homeless? Um, thankfully, I've always had a mom that's been in my corner that has, you know, I mean, again, she's not rich either, but she's done it well enough that she would not let that happen. Great answer. Um, that's but, a perfect answer. Yeah. So listen, I don't ask my listeners for much. I really don't. Go to Jessica Anderson for VA.com right now and give her a dollar, give her $5, whatever you can afford. She's vetted by Howie Klein from Down With Tyranny. That's all you need to know. 
we want to send her to the Virginia House of Delegates. You see what's happening in North Carolina and Florida. She has great hopes for America, but it's also important to stop the Republicans. And we need a Republican majority in the Virginia Democratic, uh, Virginia House of Delegates. Give her money. It is a form of prayer when you give somebody like Jessica Anderson money. It is an act of faith. It's morally righteous, and it is a sin for you to spend $5 on a non-union cup of coffee at Starbucks when you could be giving that money to Jessica Anderson. You will burn in hell if you, I'm serious. You will burn in hell if you don't give Jessica Anderson $5. Go to jessicaandersonforva.com and give her $5. If you go to Starbucks instead and treat yourself to a non-union cup of coffee, I can assure you, you will burn for eternity in hell. If you think $5, that Starbucks is more deserving of your $5 than Jessica Anderson, you will burn in hell. Thank I you. appreciate that. Thank you, Jessica. By the way, you're going to burn you in. <laughs> my listeners are going to burn in hell anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jessica. Come back, yes. please. You're great. I will. We need. I will. We need a hundred more Jessica Andersons. Jessica Anderson for VA.com. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump.